Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. Well, good evening. So our theme for the year is what, church? Church matters. Let's say it all together. Our theme for the year is? Church matters. And simply put, if church matters, then it matters how we church. It matters how we church. If you look at the New Testament, the Bible tells us in at least 59 different places in the New Testament alone how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we're not left to just kind of make this thing of church work for us. We have overwhelming clarity from God's word about how we are to work and worship together for the glory of God. And so last week, we looked at the most foundational command. Do you remember what it was? That we are to what? Love one another. And we looked at verse after 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 verse that told us over and over and over again that we are to what? We are to love one another. And in case we missed it, we're to love one another as how? As Jesus loved us. And we're not just supposed to love one another. We're supposed to also love one another with brotherly love. So we're supposed to try to like one another too. And we see it over and over and over again. And why is that so foundational? Really, because everything else we're going to talk about in this study about the one another's of Scripture is going to flow from this one of loving one another. To love one another, remember, means to live seeking the highest good for another without expectation of return. And this naturally naturally leads to a multitude of applications. Uh, Like glue, we said last week, love is only profitable when it's applied. Or it's only valid, really, when it's visible. It's not theoretical, it is practical. And so we're going to look at some of the ways that this love is practically lived out in some of the other one another's. And tonight... We're going to look at the command in Bible that we are to prefer one another or we are to esteem one another better than ourselves. Now, from the very title of the message, you recognize that this is certainly not a natural thing. This is not something we come by naturally, but it is a necessary thing if we are going to be the church that God wants us to be. And so let's consider this evening that we ought to prefer one another. I want us to note first this morning, or this evening, whatever it is at this point, uh, the humble appreciation of one another. What does it mean to prefer one another, to esteem one another better than ourselves? Well, it involves, first of all, a humble appreciation of one another. Uh, You remember Romans 12, 10, we read it earlier. The Bible says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, we see, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. And so what we find as we get started tonight, we find that really the the crux here is a humble appreciation of one another. I think it's important as we start tonight to define our terms. What do we mean when the Bible tells, what does God mean when the Bible tells us in Romans that we are to prefer one another? Well, it simply means that we are to put... Another before ourself. That we're to put another before ourself. 
What does God mean when he tells us to esteem one another better than ourselves? Well, that literally means is that we are to think of others and their needs as to be above our own. There is a, a, almost a superiority of that person and that need where we voluntarily place them above ourselves. And so we have a couple of different images that give us the same result. In preferring one another, what are we doing? We're taking another person and we're putting them before ourselves. When we esteem another better than ourselves, what are we doing? We're taking another person and we're putting them in their needs above ourselves. In either regard, what is the, what is the qualification? We have to humble ourselves if we're truly going to appreciate them, prefer them, esteem them the way God tells us to. By the way, this is right in line with what Jesus teaches. Uh, what what the Jesus teaches that uh, greatness actually is. You'll remember in Mark chapter 10 and verse 42, Jesus called the disciples to him and said unto him, Ye know... Uh, that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. So Jesus tells his, uh, and the great ones exercise authority upon them. So Jesus is saying, you recognize that in the world, great people, they tell other people what to do. Great people have people serve them. You think of the people who are high up in politics. They have staff. They have security. They have people everywhere doing what? Supporting and serving them. Listening to their commands. You think about people high up in the business world. What do they have? They have people at rapt attention waiting to hear and do what the big guy says to do. Jesus said it is not a secret. Those that have greatness in the world, they exercise authority upon others. They have other people serve them. Verse 43, Jesus said, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, what does Jesus say? Shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so it seems very foreign to our modern mind that I need to keep other people before myself and I need to lift up other people above myself. But boy, this is exactly what Jesus taught us to do. And this is exactly the example Jesus left us. John 13 and verse 14. You'll remember this. Jesus told this to the disciples. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. Now beyond the fact that I don't want to wash your feet because feet are fairly gross. Even yours. We have to realize that culturally this was the task that was done by the lowest of the lowest servants or slaves in the household. And yet that was the example that Jesus left for us to follow. But boy, doesn't our flesh get in the way. How many of us can admit tonight that sometimes we struggle to maintain healthy relationships 
and a healthy appreciation of other people. From time to time. Why? Well, because we're prone to silly comparisons, aren't we? Because when I, I see people, boy, I'm pretty prone to do what? Compare myself to them. For better or worse. I'm doing better than they are. At least I'm not sister such and such or brother so and so. Or I compare myself to them and I'm like, well, boy, I can never be that. or do. What does the Bible say about comparing ourselves among ourselves? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that it, it, we, we dare not be of the number that compare ourselves uh, uh, and commend ourselves among ourselves. The next part of the verse says, because when we measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves, what are we? We are not wise. But we look at other people and we, we make comparisons. And that's not wise. You know, why do we struggle to appreciate people? Well, because it's so easy for our flesh to get into comparisons. Here's another one. It, it, not only are we prone to silly comparisons, we're also prone to selfish calculations. In other words, if I invest in something, what do I want? I want a return on my investment. And so, like, how much can I really keep putting into a person when, when they don't offer me anything in return? All they do is take and take and take and take and take and take and take and, take and, and return. And we, what do we do? We do these calculations. What, what will this benefit me? What will it offer me? At, at what point can I not afford to do this anymore? And so what do we do? We're prone to silly comparisons. We're prone to selfish calculations. And what happens when we do those? They lead us to pride. And when we engage in pride, what are we doing? We're putting ourselves before other people. We're elevating ourselves above other people, which is the exact opposite of what we're called to do. And so uh, these lead us to pride. Uh, these, these also lead us to pettiness. So many squabbles. Now, I get it. People plus personalities will always yield problems. And objects in motion that come in contact with each other invariably yield friction. It, it is a principle of physics but we get into these little petty squabbles. And when we do, we are prone to staining conflicts. Conflicts that stain the name of Christ and even spread to other parts of the church or other people. And I'm going to tell you, when we realize we're doing it, when we realize we're comparing, when we realize we got the calculations going, when we realize we're harboring those, those little petty conflicts, do you know what we need to do? Stop. Stop. Stop it. We need to repent and get it right. <clears throat> because that's not so much a commentary on the person we're comparing ourselves to or the, the people we're working with who, who may not be giving us back in return or, or the people we're in conflict with. That is commentary on my heart. It's commentary on me. And so I need to recognize it, stop it, repent of it, and get it right. We struggle to have a healthy, humble appreciation of other people where we truly take the people in the body of Christ and we prefer them, we put them before ourselves, we esteem them, we put them above ourselves. 
But the Bible clearly teaches that we are to value each member of the body of Christ. Whether they be rich, whether they be poor, whether they be many talent people, whether they be few talent people, we value every member of the body of Christ. And in humility, we are called to serve all of them like we are serving Christ. As you look at Christ, he he delineates in the Olivet Discourse some of the standards of judgment by which he's going to bring there at his second coming at the end of the world. What do we we find? Uh, Matthew 25 and verse number 40, he tells his people, And the king, that's Jesus, shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And by the way, when we have that perspective, who cares whether they're going to be able to receive reciprocate in this life who cares whether it's going to be worth it on a balance sheet who cares because as much as we do it to them we are actually doing it to the lord and so what do we find here what do we find that when we truly live with a humble appreciation of one another prefer one another, put them before ourselves, esteem one another, put them above ourselves. You know what? We're going to find we're not going to really get all that out of whack if we feel inconvenienced. We're going to find we're not really going to get all that out of whack if we feel injured or if we feel ignored. After all, what are we? We are just servants. Others before self is the standard for church life. A humble appreciation of one another. Well, let's develop this thought a little bit more tonight. A humble appreciation of one another will invariably lead to a helpful assistance to one another. A humble appreciation of one another will invariably lead to a helpful assistance to one another. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4. We read verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now I want to key in on that first word tonight for this point, that word look. Look is an important word to understand. The Greek word here is skopeo. Uh, It's the uh, kind of the underlying word for which we get our English word scope and think of it like a microscope or a telescope what do those things allow us to do they allow us to really focus in and bring to clarity details we would otherwise miss when I look into a microscope I can see details on the smallest things that I could never see with the naked eye When I look through a telescope, I can see details on some of the biggest things that I could never make out with the naked eye. But I have got to scope in. So what does the Bible say? Look not every man on his own things. In other words, we're not to be scoping in on our own needs and things and burdens. And that's not what consumes us. As Christians, I am not to be consumed with myself. But look, scope in every man also on the things of others. 
And so we find here the idea that we're not just to see, but we are to look into, focus in on, direct our attention to mark and contemplate the things of others. In other words, we ought to give attention to the issues that others face with the purpose of helping them. By the way, this is a big difference than being a busybody, which the Bible expressly rebukes. Being a busybody is being in other people's business and then spreading it or fomenting it. Preferring one another is looking on the things of others. Why? For the purpose of helping them, supporting them, or helping them solve it. And so there's a huge difference between this and being a busybody. What this is, is this is a healthy concern and care for the members of the body. I don't think it's new news to anybody, but one of Paul's greatest, uh, most well-loved analogies for the church is, is a body. We are the body of Christ. And he draws out this analogy pretty, in a pretty detailed way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at a couple of verses, beginning in verse number 20. Paul says, but now they are many members, yet one body. Speaking of the different parts, many parts. I mean, we've got eyes, we've got nose, we've got ears, we've got mouth, we've got a chin, we've got fingers and toes and knees and, and bad backs and all sorts of things. They are many members, but they are one body. Verse 21. Bible says, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Look with me, jump if you would to verse 25. Why did God design the body this way? Well, simply that there should be no schism in the body. There should be no division. There should be no conflict. God designed it that way so that we would need one another, so we would be drawn to one another, that we would honor one another, that we would help one another, that there be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Look what it says, verse 26. And whether one member suffer, what happens? All the members suffer with it. My back hurts. We're tearing out the back deck and I'm getting old. I, my, my new favorite phrase is whatever you don't, whatever you do, don't get old. And uh, I woke up this morning, man, my back hurts, my legs hurt. I may or may not have been jumping in the church dumpster the other day, kind of packing it down, and I may or may not have clipped the side of the dumpster, so I got a bruise about that big on the back of my leg. I, George, it's not good, man. It's not good. But here's the thing. Just because my back hurts, the rest of my body is not like, oh, that's the back's problem. No, when one member hurts... We all hurt. I mean, even when I broke that dumb finger, I mean, that's still the straightest I can get it. When I broke the littlest finger I have, guess what? It affected my entire being. And when one member suffers, here's the analogy, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You ever think about the fact that none of your body parts are really able to care for themselves? Even like your, your hand, which is really dexterous. The hand, you ever tried to, to, to wash, wash your hand with your hand? The hand can't even wash itself. 
It requires the other hand to wash it. Like our body parts are literally designed to like not be able to do anything for themselves. And they have to rely on one another. Boy, the nose can smell and that's important. But, 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 but the nose, I mean, it can't even, it can't pick itself. It can't even lift up. It can't even lift a tissue so it can blow properly. It is absolutely dependent on the rest of the body. And when that's the case, what happens? The members of the body, they look out for one another. They prefer one another. They esteem one another. Why? Boy, because God put it together in such a way that they got to have one another. And the sooner we realize that we are built into the body, equipped and placed into the body to help and to assist one another... I'm going to tell you, church life gets a whole lot better at that point. But if your focus is on yourself, you're a hand trying to wash itself in the sink, getting frustrated that he can't get the back part. (laughs) It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And as soon as I realize I am called to prefer one another, to esteem one another, boy, I'm going to humbly appreciate them in that way. And that's going to lead me to help, helpfully assist them in those things. And so look, let's, let's draw out the analogy a little further. How do we assist one another? What, what do we do? We help to restore one another who have fallen. Galatians 6 and verse number 1 reminds us, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what? We ought to be ready to help, to assist those who stumble and fall. No, no longer can the church bite and devour itself. Someone, someone said that the church is really the only army that, that shoots and uh, devours its own wounded. And it ought not be the case. When, when a brother or sister falls, we ought to be ready yes. to go. <laughs> it's that dragon we talked about last week. <laughs> we ought to be ready to restore them humbly, meekly. Let me give you another one. It's helping to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 and verse number 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. A brother or sister has a burden. You know what? God will equip you and use you. You think about the different body parts. None of them do the same thing. And so like if I've got a cut or something, maybe my hand will open a Band-Aid and put it on. My feet will carry me there. My eyes will show me where the Band-Aid is. My brain will process. Take off the paper part. Get the sticky part. Put it on. Like they don't do the same thing, but they're all a part of the solution. And so what do we do? When those we love are bearing tremendous burdens, we come alongside. Sometimes that means a visit. Sometimes it means a letter in the mail. Sometimes that means a meal. Sometimes that means a dessert. Sometimes that means financial help. Sometimes that means we just text them and we let them know we are praying for them. Sometimes that means you fill in the blank. Because the way God's going to lead you to help may and probably won't be the way God leads me to help. 
So we help to bear one another's burdens. We help to strengthen one another in weakness. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, and warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient towards all men. Hebrews 12 and verse number 12, along the same lines, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Boy, sometimes it's easy to get impatient with people. But we're called to come alongside, to lift up those who have fallen, to to help bear under those who are under heavy burdens, to help strengthen and support those who are weak. In other words, preferring one another and esteeming one another means that their lives should be practically better because I'm in it. So we see, first of all, a humble appreciation of one another. We see, secondly, a helpful assistance to one another. Let's come back to Philippians 2. This time, though, I'm going to go back to verse 1, and I want you to read with me uh, through verse 8. And when we get to verse 5, I want us to read verses 5 through 8 in unison together. Ready? If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5 in unison. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So what is this matter of preferring one another? Well, first of all, it's a humble appreciation of one another. I'm going to put them before me. I'm going to put them above me. I'm going to humble myself to do it. Number two, it's a helpful assistance to one another. Their lives are going to be practically better because I am here. Number three tonight, I want you to notice about this thing of preferring one another, that it involves a holy ambition for one another. Did you notice as Paul talked about looking not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others, what is the example that Paul gave of that? Verses 5 through 8, he gives us what? The example of Christ. You think about one who humbled himself for us. The fact that Christ found any value in us at all boggles my mind. And yet he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He put our needs before his own. But he didn't just do it in theory, did he? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You want to talk about helpful assistance. (laughs) You, You want to talk about meeting a need that we could never meet. What Christ did for us on the cross met the greatest need humanity has ever had. And so our example of of a humble appreciation of others and a helpful assistance, I'm going to tell you, the example, the bar is set by Jesus and none other. And so what is this holy ambition? It is, I am going to prefer others and I am going to esteem others. Why? Because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. 
And we know even the Son of Man, he came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You look down a couple of more verses in Philippians 2, verse 15. What, what are our results? What's our purpose here? That we might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Boy, I want to be like Jesus. When I want the world to see me, when I want my fellow church members to see me, I want them to see Jesus in me. I want to be like Him. And here's the thing. You can't be like Christ and live for yourself. Can't do it. You can't be like Christ and put yourself in front of others. You can't be like Christ and compare yourself and make calculations about other people and harbor conflicts with other people. We can't be like Christ and do those things. We can't be like Christ and serve ourselves. He didn't come to serve himself. He came to serve others. You can't be like Christ and live for safety and comfort. You can't do it. It's the antithesis of what that is. I love Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. He said this, I will very gladly be spent, will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Boy, that's a challenging verse to me. Because I'm often quick to say, well, no more pearls before those swine. I mean, that's biblical after all. <sighs> Paul said no. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Even though the more I love you, the more I do, the less you love me. I prefer others. I esteem others because I want to be like Jesus. Can I tell you the other side of that? We talk about this holy ambition. Not only because I want to be like Jesus, because I want others to be like Jesus too. And you see, it is only when the church functions as it ought. It is only when I prefer you and you prefer me and I I esteem you and you esteem me and we prefer and esteem one another. What happens? What happens? You go to Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul lays this out. Beginning in verse number 11, he gives like, he names some of the gifts of the offices that, that God gave the church. Some apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We know that there are other gifts other than the office gifts. Uh, we have gifts of, uh, of love. We have Uh, gifts of giving. We have uh, gifts of uh, wisdom. We have gifts of administration. We have gifts and gifts and gifts and gifts and gifts. And God places us in the body as members with these different gifts. Why? Verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, I want you to see this. We're going to have a hard time growing to the measure of Christ without one another. Well, I can, I can just, I can do it by myself. No, these gifts are designed to do what? To bring us to the full measure of the stature of Christ. So that means if I cut myself off from the body and I cut myself off from the workings or I'm selfish with my life, then what am I doing? I am literally hindering others from growing in Christ. The church suffers when we're not all engaged. 
doing what God has given us to do. I don't tell you, it's a blessing, an amazing thing that we get to be in a central part of others becoming more like Jesus. That's an amazing thing. That God would allow us to come alongside one another, iron sharpening iron, and be an essential part in helping others to become more like Jesus. A holy ambition for one another. Why are we preferring and esteeming one another better than ourselves? Why? Because we want ourselves and everyone around us to what? To be like Jesus. Now let me make a point here. This is only possible because of my provision. You know, one of the things, and we talked about the the cost analysis earlier. I do those calculations. What's this going to cost me? Because we do live in a world with limited time, with limited money, with limited energy, limited sunlight, limited lifespan. And I'm going to tell you, it's really easy to get into the, well, what about me? What about me? Who's going to think of me? You know, the world has got the saying that, boy, if I don't take care of me, then no one will. So I have to then look out for number one. But you know, when we get into that rut, what about me? Who's thinking of me? Who's going to take care of me? Nobody's preferring me. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's recognizing me. Nobody's honoring me. Nobody's esteeming me. I'm not getting what I need. And so I'm just going to, I have to take care of myself because no one else will. Here's the thing though. Ultimately, whose job is it to take care of you? Ultimately, it's God's job. Did you notice how we started that chapter in verse number one of chapter two? All of this, of preferring and esteeming one another, humbling ourselves. What is it? If there is any consolation in Christ, let me ask you, do you get any comfort from Jesus? Any comfort of love? If any fellowship of the Spirit? If any bowels and mercies? In other words, what is my provision for being able to do all of this? It is the blessing and provision that I have received of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, I as pastor will fail you. I will try not to, but I will fail you. I will, I, will, I will miss things that I should be at. I will probably say things I wish I hadn't. I will probably not say things I wish I had. Your spouse will fail you. Your friend in the pew next to you will fail you. The people you serve with week in and week out, they will fail you. He will not. He will not. And so I can keep doing this regardless of what's going on around me because God will not fail me. And his provision for me, here's here's the statement, his provision for me is always enough for me to live preferring you. His provision for me is always enough for me to live my life preferring you. Church, if we love one another, very practically speaking, it will lead us to prefer one another. To put another in front of us, to put others above us. Here's the thing, though. You're going to get into the real world 
Hmm. And people won't always be honorable. Mm -mm. You're going to get into the real world and people won't always be grateful. You know, sometimes you'll prefer another person or esteem them above yourself and then they'll have the audacity to complain about you anyways. People won't always be honorable. People won't always be grateful. People won't always be gracious. You know, sometimes when you prefer another person or you esteem them better than yourself, sometimes they won't complain about you. They'll just expect it of you and even take advantage of you. They they, they won't always be honorable, grateful, or gracious. Sometimes in the real world, you will feel neglected. You will feel ignored. You will, you will feel alone and you will, will feel forgotten. But maybe, just maybe, we are most like Christ when we choose to prefer them anyways. And so I wonder tonight, we have the command to prefer one another to esteem one another better than ourselves. If we might take some time tonight, make a hard assessment. Is that the church life we're truly living? Or are we caught up in measured comparisons, measured calculations, petty conflicts? Are we truly appreciating, assisting others to grow into the image of Christ? Musicians are coming and I'm closing. We don't get to make up this church thing. We don't get to figure it out and just make it work for ourselves. If we are going to be the church God would have us be, it requires that we choose to love one another and in that love to prefer one another. For the glory of God. Stand with me tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed.